Good afternoon, everybody. It's been a very hellish couple of weeks, no pun intended. But one of the things that I love the most about getting to do this, especially the past couple of months since I really brought this thing back, is there's been such an incredible amount of reception and appreciation and love for the stuff that we've been putting out. And it's been incredible to see. And that's what that has allowed me to do is speak to people that I think are some of the most interesting and fascinating people on the planet today. And a lot of them are people that I consider to be uh, friends or mentors, or I consume to watch their, their channels or their videos, interviews, all that sort of thing. And now I actually get to sit in the driver's seat and actually produce some of that stuff myself. And I find that to be incredibly gratifying. And today's episode is going to be no different. For those of you familiar with the sect of the Horn God, you'll know this man quite well enough. And it's someone who I hold, I, I appreciate quite deeply the sect as a whole really I do is the first organization of any kind that I joined right when I turned uh, 18 of age and I'm very excited to be speaking with Thomas Arroy here with us today how you doing Thomas I am outstanding I'm always outstanding and quite positive too wow we can oh, all use some of that <laughs> that's what it's all about people think you know left-hand path you have to be all dark and gloomy well dark but gloomy no you don't have to be it's all about finding the light in the darkness, if you will. It's illuminating, of course. As someone uh, quite famous and who I actually just spoke to uh, said in an interview in the 90s, the darkness is illuminating, the light is blinding. Exactly. So I think that's one thing that we can actually just kick this thing right off with is the kind of the perception that I think just me being relatively, you know, I'm a, I'm a young dude, I'm still figuring a lot of this stuff out. And even just in the past couple of years that I've been involved with this sort of thing, you see a lot of the perception that the left-hand path or uh, just generally occultism has been seeing. It's been seeing a bit of a, like that stigma that it's had for quite some time. It's starting to fade away a little bit and people are starting to, it's starting to, to appeal to a wider swath of people than I think it did before. How, how you feel about that? Yeah, I, I would say definitely. It's, it's well, the left-hand path surprisingly is. But I think a lot of people are misinterpreting what it's all about, though. You know what I mean? It's like we were talking about the, you know, the dark and gloomy, or, or the, or they do the, the angry anti-Christian thing. But all in all, yeah, it is, it is growing without a doubt. I think the anti-Christian thing is sort of natural. I mean, I was sure. just uh, working on, I'm actually working on a project right now that has to do with that and sort of how the Christian religion perverted itself and corrupted itself over time. Like you see uh, in their original history, like the ancient Hebrew religions, you see Asherah there among a, like a pantheon of gods and sort of how it corrupted itself over time. And I think the way that like people in my generation are starting to see how deeply rooted that corruption is, especially with movements like, uh, like political movements or movements around uh, the LGBTQ community, a lot of those people are starting to reject this ancient, this very old belief system and its archaic ways, and are starting to embrace a deeper, more personalized uh, understanding of spirituality that you find a bit more in the left-hand path. Though, as always, there's going to be people misinterpreting it and kind of falling off on the way, but I do think that perception of it is changing at the very least. Yeah. In the in the the angry anti-Christian thing is, I guess it's necessary at first. I think we all went through it. But then after you get over it initially, you have to 
you have to go out there and really learn and, and study and grow and progress along the path. Just don't stand on at the starting line, you know, beating your chest, declaring your divinity, as a lot of people I see do. And even understanding what divinity is, you know what I mean? Like actually understanding what divinity outside of a church, because I, I think our perceptions of divinity even have been corrupted in terms of like look at oh, yeah. different pagan cultures and their concept of, of divinity was completely different than the one that we have here in America or just really the Christianized world. We perceive divinity. It's almost like this checklist you have to follow, follow these rules written by these people in this order. And then spirituality happens. It's not really how it is. Like you, when you're on the LHP or when you're a pagan or sort of in that sphere, you have to put a lot of the work in yourself. You don't have a group of people to go, you know, uh, basically glorify you or, uh, ver- right. val- yeah, verify you. Yeah, anoint you. The you know, the, you are now a divine being and all that nonsense. Now you don't need that. You'll find it on your own, and yeah. that's exactly what the path's all about. The left hand path's all about it. It's it's about your path. It's about you. Like, okay, you either follow that nice, even road, well-lit, with signs telling you which way to go. Or you take the shortcut, and you grab a machete, and you cut through the, the vines and brush, and you work your way toward that goal. And it takes an immense amount of work. And like, one of my favorite uh, questions, just to get a little bit of insight about, uh, you know, because you and Lisa are the heads of the sect of the Horn God, this uh, mm-hmm. large network, which I think is really one of, it's, it's a pretty unique one. It's not something that you see, at least the structure that it has, sort of like this educational organization more so right. than a, a community where people can show up and tell each other how awesome they are. Uh, which uh, unfortunately a lot of those do exist too, but yeah. it's a place that you go to, to learn and to gain insight and sort of, I wouldn't say it's sort of a guide to help you along your way to give you proper studying things and, you know, things like that to help grow that divinity within everyone has a story of some kind, how they got involved, what caused them to go down the path that they did. And I think specifically with the left-hand path and, uh, that sphere, you get a lot of really interesting stories of how people were led down that path or how, they felt themselves be attracted to it. What is your story and how did the left-hand path speak to you in a way that any other path didn't? I think, uh, well, Nicholas Shrek, uh, who, by the way, I loved your interview with him. Yes, uh, yes. He, he has a quote, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, if you are on the left-hand path, then something must have happened to you. Meaning you maybe you had an outrageous upbringing of some sort or or something horrific or just something very meaningful just kicked you in the head and woke you up to reality. Now, my initial story is not unlike most people where I, my first, let's say, spiritual indoctrination was Christianity. But where my story is a little different, first, I lived with my mother who was Catholic and the Catholic side, I don't remember that well, but I do remember the creepy iconography, the statues and the stained glass and so on. And back then, the, the priests, this was pre-Vatican II, so they still did the mass in, in Latin and so on and so forth. I found it creepy. And then I lived with my grandmother for a while. Now that's when I really got, in a sense, indoctrinated. She was a Jehovah's Witness. 
and that was like the first religion that I actually really learned and got to know. I don't know, even as, as young as I was, I don't know how much of it I really believed, but I just kind of went along because that's, that's way my grandmother was, my, my aunts and uncles, so on and so forth. And to this day, they're still that way. Um, my grandmother's passed, but my aunts and uncles, I have cousins also who are Jehovah's Witnesses, people I've never met, blood relatives never met because of their, you know, their, their idea of, of, you do not put it this way, I'm of the world. And I am of, <laughs> little do they know how much I am of Satan. Uh, and anybody who's not of their denomination is, like I said, of the world, of Satan. But anyway, I went through that and then I ended up in a foster home uh, and they were Lutherans. So I got three different interpretations of the same thing. So as you can well guess, I became skeptical pretty easy, pretty early, pretty young. At first, well, I, I felt the need for something like a lot of people do. So I checked out the different, back then you still had a cult bookstores. You didn't have new age bookstores really. You had these cool old creepy leather, you know, bookstores with leather bound books and they had that smell and they had like, uh, I remember this one place had this, this shelf filled with jars of toad warts and you know, stuff like whatever they could, you know, spices and herbs and with outrageous names and so on and so forth. And I love the feel of it. And I started studying people like Crowley and so on and so forth and, and Wicca and so on. But Crowley was very, very confusing, especially when you're about 14, 15 years old. Uh, so I started, I got into Israel Regardi, who was Crowley's secretary, his final secretary, if you will. And his books gave you a, a more, how should I say, uh, lucid translation of what Crowley was trying to say. Because Crowley spoke in poetic terms or whatever. So I tried, I tried that. I tried different things, you know, uh, involved with, let's say, uh, neo-paganism, so on and so forth. But what I soon discovered is I was substituting one religion for another religion, one faith for another faith. And so my skepticism was still there until later, being a San Francisco native, uh, LaVey. And now he, he was everywhere. Uh, he was quite popular in the Bay Area. His books were all over the place. Any bookstore you went into, you went to the to the spiritual or even religious section. There was the Satanic Bible, and finally, I picked it up. It made sense to me. Uh, I realized I can be a bit skeptical, if you will, and still enjoy the uh, experience what it is to be a part of the occult. Now, I understand. Like, okay, take for instance, uh, Nicholas Schreck. He's not a huge fan of LaVey, as I noticed from your interview and the other interviews and so on. But I'm indebted to LaVey because 
he introduced me to what the left-hand path was or is. Now, I think Satanism in that respect is, is a good thing. You need those outrageous types like, like Blavatsky or, or Crowley or LeVay to get out there and kick doors open. But then once those doors are open, it's up to you to go down that path or to search out what it is to be, to be more than just like we mentioned earlier, those standing at the starting line, beating their chest, if you will. So that's basically my, I'm hoping not rambling, but yeah, that's how I got into it. Let's say. Rambling is what we do here. And yeah. I definitely, <laughs> uh, well, always interesting stuff to be found there. And I think I definitely have to agree as far as uh, like a perception of LeVay goes. And there's, there's another YouTuber, uh, Sticks Hexenhammer, 666, right. who does a lot of occult-related stuff. And he, yeah. he's elucidated about the same sort of thought, is that with people like LeVay, it's not a place that you start and end with. It's something that you begin with, like you said, knock those doors, like kick those doors open. But the rest of the work is kind of left up to you. And right. especially with... The ability to look back at LeVay's work now and see how a lot of it isn't, uh, shall we say, academically, you know, above, above board. It's not a lot of it is, uh, you know, plagiarized and things like that. And there yeah. are issues that you can get into. But as far as like as for an initiate, someone who doesn't really know what's going on, I myself fell in that category. I got that same uh, LeVay's work when I was 16. Actually, I was 13. And then I got my physical copy when I was 16. Uh, thank the internet for that, that first uh, yeah. introduction there. But definitely figures like Nicholas, Nicholas Shrek and Xena, like they fought back in the 80s and the 90s, their appearances with Bob Larson. And yeah. all of that was very, it, almost mind-blowing for someone who had been raised a certain way and sort of indoctrinated into the same belief system. It's very liberating, even if a lot of it isn't necessarily verifiable. It's a way to get yourself out of a box and to start thinking about things a little bit more differently. Yeah, I just just learning, okay, the left-hand path. Now, the first time I heard it or heard of it was from reading LeVay. So I had to I had to search that out. What was that all about? What what you know is there more to it than simply Satanism? And yeah, there, there's quite a bit more. A lot more. And more and more that keeps building and as it keeps growing and expanding with uh, newer generations getting involved in it, and now we have the internet so a lot of these old sources like um you walk into any bookstore now you're going to see the Kabbalah and you're going to see the hermetica you're going to find the poetic and prose edda from the norse right. sagas you're going to you're going to find all of these different books and resources that were almost impossible to get a hold of uh, even 20 30 years ago at least for a reasonable price like a lot of it is a lot more available and easy to find now so for those who are truly interested in it they can find it and they can read it and hopefully understand it in a way that not everybody could yeah online i mean it's it's easy now before it was almost impossible you would have to go to these obscure little hole-in-the-wall bookstores and hope they had it but now yeah just go to amazon there you go which of course has its drawbacks like you we had mentioned earlier like one of the things that i remember when i was like i think when I first, this is a little bit of a personal anecdote, but when I first heard of the sect, I think I was like 16, 17. And I found it on the internet. I came across your YouTube channel, which I definitely like mm -hmm. to get into because 
your work that you do on there, even just telling stories or doing a brief little lecture, like that, that really goes a long way in terms of like building a community yeah. and uh, getting people actively interested in it. But finding that channel when I was like 16, 17 was again, really exciting. Cause I'm like, Oh, other people like they're there. They're, they're not completely out of reach. Yeah. What, what series of events led to you starting something like this sect? Cause like we had mentioned earlier, it's not really a community or forum so much as it is a place to learn and a place to grow. And it has a very unique structure. Where did that come from? What motivated that? Like just stemming from your own path and how it had been going at that time? Well, like I was saying, okay, I, you know, initially a, a Satanist and you, I could still basically say I am a Satanist as codified by LaVey as a trait, you know what I mean? Like a characteristic. Yeah. Like LaVey said, you're born a Satanist, you know, a person with a, a in, an independent spirit with maybe a darker aesthetic or whatever, you know, so I am that. But my philosophy has, has evolved. And part of that is for a while I got, I got into, uh, I got into like I, searching out Druidism, for instance, because I'm very, I, I'm very Celtic. So I got interested in Druidism, but I noticed that this modern Druidism is just, is so full of shit. The big problem with a lot of modern paganism is, is they incorporate this, this light, dark, perspective duality if you will which didn't exist in ancient paganism you know the gods and so on and so forth were like a force of nature a force of nature is neither good nor bad sometimes good things happen sometimes bad things happen but anyway got into druidism as best as we can know about druidism since the druids didn't really write anything down and still with a satanic edge to my paganism if you will left-hand path paganism. And then I, I eventually, I was, I was a little late to get online. I didn't get online until about, really, until about 12 years ago. And I thought, okay, cool. This, you know, I can, I can get on these forums and so on and so forth and communicate with like-minded people, you know, civil, intelligent. You know, we can go back and forth with ideas about Satanism and the left-hand path and different forms of left-hand path paganism or whatever. Wow. I could not believe how many fucking dicks there are within the satanic community online. It, it blew me away. And I would watch them just like skewer these people who were newbies, these neophytes that were just asking simple questions, not even dumb questions, but just simple beginner type questions. And they would get their ass handed to them. And I was thinking to myself, what the, what's this all about? I come to realize that they're, they're putting down people that they would, if they saw face to face, first off, they wouldn't speak that way to them. And second, they'd probably get along with them. But they had to show that they were adversaries because satan and i saw somebody write this too satan means adversary so i'm adversarial i thought this is a fucking joke so it was a combination of that and also lisa and i we used to put on events at a winery that we were the caretakers on uh, we also owned a bookstore in the winery but unfortunately we lost everything in one of these northern california fires um, and one of the events we put on was a pagan festival and 
the people were cool, got along with them fine. Uh, but I was, I was kind of checking out their interpretation of the, the horn god, if you will. And I realized that he had been basically neutered. He had become the boy toy of the goddess. The goddess was everything. So I was like, oh, geez. So I wasn't crazy about that either. So you had the combination of, you know, the, the bullshit Satanist and the, and the silly, weak, I guess you could say, in my eyes, pagans. So I figured I, I got to do something about this. So it was uh, November 1st, 2011, we launched the Sect of the Horn God. And I also, there's a quote from LaVey. I forget the exact words, but basically he compares Pan and Satan. Why? Basically, he says, why reject an old friend just because he bears a new name and unjustified stigma? And also, there's another LaVey quote, they, as in pagans, they play the devil's game but won't take the devil's name. So I thought, we need to inject more of the, let's say, left-hand path perspective into paganism and hence the sect of the horn guy. And we wanted to, in a sense, welcome people in. You know, people had questions, you have a place to go. You know, you're not going to get your ass handed to you. At the same time, if you're a, you know, if you're a troll, you're gone. If you're rude, you're gone. But, you know, if, if you're just curious, come on in. We'll welcome you. You can check it out. Maybe learn a little something. Learn quite a bit, I think. And I, I thought that was hilarious. I, I think just about everybody, especially now, like you, you go to any forum or any YouTube video, like some of my favorite ones are to go to like the Michael Aquino videos and from the eighties and stuff when he was getting accused or there is this uh, neophyte that stood up or this little, this guy accusing him of uh, like, Oh, I was in this group and they killed a guy and they made me oh, do it. On Oprah. That was on Oprah. That, right? Yes, I think so. Yes. Yeah. And yes. he, he was sitting there like, I don't That's not even a thing. Like we, we don't even, <laughs> we, we don't have acolytes or whatever it was that he said. Yeah. Just, he said something like the kid said something like, uh, the the high priest came up and stabbed him or whoever the the sacrifice you know the sacrificial individual in the heart the high priest and and, and Aquino goes there's only one high priest and that's and that's Levey and the church was saying yeah. you know unless it was Levey that did it and yeah I remember that so yeah. yeah that was like you just scour the comments on those videos and see how just asshole-ish these these people are to each other and i encountered a lot of that too like this uh community of people who thought they were tough guys and it's sort of the whole trope of uh the whole social darwinist or like anarchist types like they're the ones who if that were actually a thing the social darwinists would be the first ones to get stomped on yeah. like if, if you gotta hide behind a computer <laughs> screen like you're, you're not you're not really as tough as you think you are go ahead no. and meet someone in a martial arts club or something like that a gym and really put it to the test if you want to run your mouth like that exactly yeah. and that's there's nothing adversarial about that like those are the no. people who have an insecurity within them and they're projecting that through this quote-unquote belief system that questionably they may or may not actually hold they just want to feel good about themselves exactly exactly yeah i saw way too much of that and that was roughly yeah 10 yeah 10 11 years ago and I thought, oh, we, we got to do something about it. We got to be able to welcome people in. And this was something, I, I've been thinking about something like this sect for shit, maybe 30 years or so. 
And it was just the right time. And also Lisa, Lisa and I got together. I found that right, that, that perfect partner for this, for this great big project, if you will. It's, which is kind of, I, I kind of see it as in some ways like an art project. I think it was, I think it was Shrek that said he sees his life as sort of a work of art. If I remember in your interview with him. Yes. He, he, yeah. Yeah. And that's said, the way I kind of see the, the sect is kind of a work of art and others just come in and add, you know, strokes to the canvas, if you will. It's sort of uh, living your life. And I think this is something that Nurgle from the band Behemoth also said that sort of is in that same vein. It's like, I don't uh, practice rituals. I practice life. And it's sort of the same, the same concept. It's everything that you do. And even a friend of mine said something similar. There is no time. Well, there's no free time. There's just time. So everything that you do, the collective ritual of your life and the way that you live it and the things that you breathe life into, that's partly like the sect is a bit, one of the reasons that I started like this. Like there's a lot of influences that came together and I loved the academic angle of the yeah. sect and the fact that there is actually, that there's things to, to test your knowledge. Like if you, the first lessons you work through, the second lessons, and then just communicating and speaking with people in the Facebook group and the forums and stuff that you guys have, publishing writing, publishing art. I found that to be incredibly inspiring. Like those sorts of things, um, obviously aesthetic plays a big role in everything that any, anything occult related aesthetic plays a big role in that oh, yeah. is that it all tie into the, the academic angle that the sect took, which I do think is a unique thing. I haven't seen much like that. No, I can't really think of any, uh, our orders aren't exactly orders. They're more like courses, if you will, but we call them orders. And then it, it's, they build, you know, in intensity as they should. And then the final one is called the Order of Shiva. And the reason why I utilize Shiva is I got into, during my studies, learning about the, the left-hand path, learning about Eastern left-hand path philosophy and how Shiva is the ultimate God in my eyes of, of the left-hand path. He is, he is the left face of Brahman. He is the God of the dead, the God of destruction, the God of renewal. And that pretty much sums up what the path is all about. And like I'm saying, in our final order, the order of Shiva, then you actually do, you start to get more into the ritual side. And, you know, there's aspects of meditation and breath work and so on and so forth. But we want to make sure before people go there, we want to make sure that they, they know a thing or two. You know, and if this is really what they want to do. So, like I said, the lower orders build up to that. Well, as a, as a college student, I can tell you that order is a lot cooler sounding than course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But but yeah. that after having worked through a couple of them myself, like that is what I that, that's essentially what I got from it is that there is there's books to read, there's essays to watch, like to yeah. read, videos to watch, and all all these different educational elements that come together. And I've heard paganism referred to specifically as this but it also applies to you know anything having to do with the occult it's the religion or belief system with homework like you really you really got to sit there and study these things and you got to practice the meditation like an issue that i've found you know i i've experienced this myself and maybe you can speak to this too um there is a difficult balance to strike when you're first starting out or even if you're a couple years in um the balance between studying and actually practicing and doing 
Like that, it's very difficult to kind of balance that sometimes. And even though studying can feel like doing, actually practicing and doing the meditations or doing the uh, the workings, or the rituals, whatever it is that you're taking part in, there's a difficult balance that you, you got to figure out kind of early on as to how you're going to balance these things out yeah. and actually apply your knowledge instead of just soaking it in. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You have to apply it. And eventually though, it just becomes a way of life. It's just, it's just a part of your existence. It's kind of hard to explain, but it, it just kind of happens. A transformation happens in you. Yeah, a transformation, it, it falls into how you view the world. It's yeah. Like a, we mentioned aesthetic a second ago, aesthetic is really important and how you perceive the world and the aesthetics that appeal to you and finding the beauty within even the ones that you don't really appreciate. It's sort of just the way your mind transforms slowly as it's ascending through divinity. It's sort of like that whole concept, like raising your vibrations or uh, samsara, ridding yourself of negative, uh, like the ego and all these other things. It all kind of comes together and you start to see yourself view the world in a different way. That's really how I've, at least now, kind of characterized that transformation that you, you seem to sort of start experiencing the further you go down. And you, okay, one major thing you do not do on the path, let's say on the left-hand path, is you don't perceive yourself as a victim. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't look for a safe space. There's no safe spaces on the left-hand path, if you will. Um, you, if stuff happens to you, you learn from that. You know, you take, you take joy in the laughter and the, and the love and the laughter and you learn from the pain and sorrow, if that makes any sense. You, uh, like I was, like I mentioned earlier, you go so far into the darkness, hopefully you come out into the light. It's, uh, it's very similar to Nietzsche's Amor Fadi, love of fate, just a love of existence, or it's, it's also in common with the Aghori, if you're familiar with them, uh, left-hand path, Hindu left-hand path, Shaivas practitioners, the Aghori Sadhu, who, who, who do some really, to be blunt, fucked up shit, which seems really fucked up. But what agori means, or agora, their practice means, okay, agora means horrible. You put an A in front of it, it means not horrible. Where they're trying to reach this form of enlightenment, if you will, is by doing, they don't, they don't harm others, but <laughs> they'll, do, they'll do stuff like uh, uh, meditate amongst the funeral pyres. Uh, they will indulge in human flesh. And what their, what their goal is, is once, they, once they're indifferent toward it, when it no longer has an effect on them, then they know they've reached that illumination, if you will. They, they, they want to find all that is beautiful within Brahman. So if everything is of Brahman, there's no difference between the filth and the beauty. And I find that highly intriguing. Now, I have no plans on eating a corpse, but I think there's some lessons there. And eventually what happens is they enter this mental state, it's been described, that's very similar to what some people achieve only when they're in their last few days of existence. That's that peace, 
that comes to you when you've accepted your demise, if you will, and you've, and you've accepted reality for what it is. And that's their goal. Well, it almost sounds like a form of uh, trauma therapy when you put it that way. You, you're constantly exposing yourself to these things that are perceived as being horrible. And of course, eating a corpse, it's not only illegal, that'll cause you some problems, but <laughs> just, just the actual... Uh, not easy to get either. Yeah, so. not, not exactly something you want to brag about, but no. uh, it's something that when you desensitize, it's a process of desensitization. Like you expose yourself repeatedly. And again, it's like trauma therapy. If you are afraid of clowns, you go face to face with a clown, you get closer and closer and closer and closer until it becomes a normality for you. Right. It's something that you are no longer afraid of. It's something that you, you just you take away the, um, the spookiness about it. It's power. Yeah, exactly. It's power over. Exactly. And that is a very spiritual principle. Like most principles can be boiled down into a spiritual aspect of some kind, but that is definitely one that I think uh, we can learn from without, you know, breaking the law and, or hurting anybody <laughs> yeah exactly they don't well they yeah they they don't kill people for the corpses but they they have been known to like yeah i don't know uh like uh, the ganges river they might uh, a funeral procession or whatever might you know let a body go down the river or whatever and they'll scoop yeah. up that body after it's gone down a ways and, and i don't know chow down on it or there's been necrophilia um, at times. And they've also done outrageous stuff like drink urine or eat feces. And yeah, the, none of that, like I said, I plan on doing. <laughs> but I mean, there is, there is a lesson in there somewhere, if you will. You won't openly advocate anyway. Just no, <laughs> no, no. But you got to look at, I mean, India is a pretty extreme society. Yeah, their so values their, are entirely different. Yeah, so their form of the left-hand path is going to be a little, a little more extreme than our, you know, Western. Oh well, yeah, I, I think you mentioned a good point a minute ago about the uh, victim mentality, and yeah. that's that's an important thing to take note of, especially when it, it's sort of as cliche as it can sound, sort of separating the sheep from the wolves. Yeah, um, it, it's a decent way. Like, you can't go throughout life, uh, especially can't be beating your chest at the f- start or finish line or anywhere in between, while constantly uh, bitching and moaning about how how feeling sorry for yourself about how much yeah. of a victim you are. You, you can't go about life living that way, especially not when you're taking on the mantle of strength and you're taking the spiritual responsibility onto yourself to carve out your own path, so to speak. It's really important to find a way to rid yourself of that. And another one of the reasons that you may be feeling like a victim all the time is shame, is guilt. A lot of those things that get built up within you from your upbringing or from any number of circumstances, it's important to weed through those and actually root them out. Yeah, Nietzsche said guilt is herd mentality for the individual. So yeah, there are, yeah, those things you have to, if you're going to be on the path, you got to let this stuff go. You know, because it's all about it's about you as an individual striving, you know, to to reach the higher self, you know, whatever that is. It's it's no one's going to hold your hand. Now, we, of course, have the organization and we're there not to hold your hand, not to guide you, but to like present tools. Go like, here you go. You know, you got a little something to help you out, but it's up to you to utilize these tools that we, we, we hand to you. 
And I think that's a very interesting way to put that. It's like the sect is a spiritual device. It's its own mm-hmm. organism at this point. It took on a life of its own. So now that it's feeding into itself, you have people within the group exchanging tools, sharing art, yeah. uh, creating things and exposing other people to them. It's taken on its own life. And it's such a wonderful thing to see when something that you create, like this organic thing, that comes to fruition it's it's a ritual it's a working and it takes on a life of its own eventually and you sort of transcend time when you do things like that it's something that truly begins to take on its own identity and you start to see that like these exchanging of tools and is, is that really how you perceive the sect especially with the academic angle to it you know people taking these resources and using them for their own betterment and quite possibly the betterment of others too without eating corpses or anything like that yeah (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it. we learn from each other. I'm learning. Even though I'm the individual who founded this organization, I learn from others. Uh, do you know Jake Block and our organization? I absolutely do. I've had a couple interactions with him over the, the years I've been there. Yeah. He, uh, he was an administrator in the Church of Satan in the Black House back, way back when, at one time. Uh, he's got a ton of knowledge. He's been a major asset to our organization. Um, and I'm, I'm learning from him. I'm learning from others. We have others that come from more of, let's say, uh, the angle of hermeticism. Uh, and then some from a more Eastern perspective, some from more of a pagan perspective. And that's what I like about it. It's not just a strict satanic let's say Levan or otherwise, it's, it's, it's a plethora of ideas. And like I said, I, I'm doing this for my own selfish reasons because I'm learning too in the process. We help out each other or we give each other, you know, information, tools, whatever, uh, to help ourselves is the way I see it. Because if you think about it, all, in truth, all spiritual paths no matter what they are, are very selfish paths. I mean, look at the Buddha. He left his wife and child to go sit under a tree to become enlightened. So, yeah, even on the right-hand path, there's a whole lot of selfishness going on. It's the nature of the the human being. And it's one of the differences being, you know, within the left-hand path and the right-hand path too, uh, beyond the split and the veneration of the divine. And of course, um, trying to be one with, divinity instead of externalizing divinity right. uh, is that that same process of taking responsibility for yourself and all uh, those things like that. It's, it's a very important part of it. You don't root out that selfishness as something to be condemned or uh, to be completely exercised from yourself. It's something that you can utilize as one of those tools that we have. Uh, they're only deadly if you can't control them. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the first principles you'll become aware of. And I think there's another aspect to the sect that I think is very inspiring too, beyond like the academic stuff and the community and all the tools that are available. It's the fact that you and Lisa are so inextricably just tied together with Mm -hmm. uh, how this whole thing functions and she's present and you're present and you guys are like the the dynamic duo of the, uh, the sect, like your presence, you're very much a part of it. How does that dynamic, like as especially being a married couple that you, that you are, how, how does that dynamic play off of each other, sort of like these spiritual partners that fuel this organism? 
it's, it's, I've had this, like I was saying, I've had this idea for a long time. And it wasn't until we got together, Lisa and I, and, and it, it's very bizarre how we got together. We met on MySpace, believe it or not. <laughs> when, wow, you're old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When MySpace was going through its death throes, uh, there was this weird little section of MySpace where all these occultic, occultists hung out. Um, and Lisa was in there and we just started chatting, um, messaging one another. I was a very happy single. She was a very happy single. We weren't looking, but then when we met, we just, we just clicked, something happened. And it, it was, it's because of her. She was that final ingredient for me to get something like the sect launched. I mean, she, I mean, she put so much work into this and she has people helping her out though, but still, I mean, she's basically the office manager, if you will. Well, I'm the guy who makes the videos and, and, you know, it's kind of the face of it, I guess you could say, but she does, she does the hard, she does the work that would drive me nuts <laughs> actually. And she's really good at it. And she's like the backbone of the whole thing. In oh, her, without, the, the without a doubt. That. Yeah, it's very uh, fascinating to see because that's another thing you see within, like even traditionally speaking, these uh, partnerships, spiritual partnerships that work together in tandem. And everything that they do, they play off of each other's strengths and weaknesses and they make yeah. the spiritual work actually work. They make it something that lives and breathes instead of something that is motivated by pure selfishness motivated by pure um, just your own desires it's something that you share with someone else and that makes it so much more powerful and palpable right you know especially with um just the again i have i'm a really big i have a lot of respect for that and the fact that you've been able to make it work as well as you have and you being like the face of it and making the youtube channel and really like i can speak for i think a lot of people in the sect too like the youtube channel is really what started that off like for a lot of us like that's how we heard about the sect or through uh, other people that you were associated with um jake block being one of those i've only recently heard about some of his history like where he started out with the being an administrator with um the cos and all that that's fascinating i didn't even know about a lot of that stuff yeah yeah he took he was a well he is a photographer and he's taken some photos of levey way back when um he just posted great. One of them. yeah they're great photos yeah, I saw he just posted one of those, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, um, I, th I think it's the one with Levey with a gun or something. I think so. It had yeah. like a, an effect or something like that on it. But either way, it was a fantastic shot just from a compositional standpoint. But like, I think there's something to be said about, you know, specifically the YouTube channel. Now, I've, I'm on YouTube too, and it's a pretty tough space for uh, people of my you know, artistic output. It's not something people generally go to YouTube for to listen like podcasts or something like that. Right. Unless you're a Nicholas Shrek type where people are like, I want to hear this guy talk wherever I can. So unless you're something like that, it's kind of hard to get started there. But regardless, a lot of the work that you've done has been instrumental, like I said, in getting a lot of people attracted to uh, like the occult at large or the sect. What about being on this path, and this is by no means unique to any one individual, but what is it about this path that makes you want to talk about it so much? <laughs> like, you want to speak about it, you want to illuminate, and you want to get this information out there because it really is powerful. 
that's just it. I mean, you, it, in, I, I'll read something or I'll come up with an idea or I'll come to a revelation, if you will. And it's like, I can't, it, I, I can't leave it bottled up. You know what I mean? I got to let it loose. I got to let loose some steam or whatever. Uh, and that's basically what the channel is all about. Um, I tend not to make videos, well, most of my videos, unless I feel inspired. It's hard for me to, I can't just push it because I look at it more as like art where, where if you're just, if you're doing it because you like, I don't know, you're an illustrator, that's one thing, you know, you can do the art, you know, because you're being paid and whatever. Uh, that's not exactly art. You have to be inspired. And I'll, you know, I'll do my research. I'll read the books, watch other videos, whatever. And I'll start to put things together and I'll think, oh, shit, you know, I got to talk about this, whatever that is. And I got to let it out. And that's, yeah, basically that's, that's what it is. It, I just can't leave it bottled up. Cause I think it's so cool. It's like, this is what I've, this is what I've discovered. You know, this is what I've either come up with that I think is really cool or something I've read, you know, and it's like, Ooh, I got, I got to share this with others. And also by sharing that helps me retain it. If that makes any sense um, by verbalizing it, that helps lock it into my head also. I can share, I can definitely, uh, build on that i'm the same way like the more i talk about something the more ingrained that it really gets into you and you remember yeah. it and can recall it more and also like it's one of those things like that's i do this too it's a matter of wanting and having this desire within you to find truth wherever you can find it especially yeah. if it pertains to like a philosophical or a spiritual nature you're just like i will i'm willing to look wherever and anywhere I can to find this. And I know people out there have the same inkling that I do. They just want to dig into the dark recesses of their minds or of humanity and of their nature and really find the truths there. The truths that quite honestly, whether for aesthetic or moral purposes, terrify most people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's okay. That's the thing about the path. The path is, is becoming one or getting to know your, what, Carl Jung called your shadow, where on the right-hand path, it's, there's a buffer between you and that shadow. You know, there's that something else that's going to protect you from that darker aspect of yourself. And you can't know yourself completely unless you know you integrate that shadow self, or as we like to call it in the sec, your demon, your personal demon. And right off the bat you've scared away like half the people that have found the sex website you deem i don't know but that's a good thing that's a good thing and specifically with young young is a very powerful one and a lot of his work that he did with like the shadow and discovering your archetypes and a lot of the lists and lectures he did on that is very powerful stuff and I've, I've spoken about that quite a bit and that's what a lot of like you look at any spiritual tradition you can think of like from Buddhism to Hinduism to Gnosticism, like there's, there's so many different traditions. A lot of it is about rooting out the stuff about you that is not the sort of thing that you want to pound your chest and yell from the rafters about. It's the stuff that you can't stand about yourself that you really need to get rid of. And that's one of the most important spiritual principles there is, is being able to locate it and being able to actually do something about it instead of repressing it and repressing it. 
and utilize it somehow. There was, there was a, okay, the, the classic Star Trek. There was an episode where Kirk goes into the transporter and he's like split in two. You know, uh, and there's like a, there's a Kirk that's all good and there's a Kirk that's pretty much all bad. And the Kirk that's all good is he can't, he can't captain the ship. He lacks that edge to be able to be a leader. And I thought, there you go. That's sort of an interesting metaphor for, for the left-hand path or for, in this case, utilizing the shadow. Or even like now that we're talking about Star Trek, I immediately thought of Star Wars, uh, which I'm also a massive nerd about. But there's a lot of very interesting stuff in there, too. Like even with the original trilogy of Luke losing his hand, fighting Vader, he fought, especially in that scene where he was in the uh, the cave and the vision he got of him defeating Vader. And it was his own face. Right. A lot of these different things, like the, the path to the dark side, which personally I like more anyway. It's way cooler, yeah. but it's uh, it's a metaphor for that same thing too. That's what the path is: is confronting a lot of that instead of externalizing it and trying to pray it away or trying to, you know, genuflect it away. Like whatever process you're trying to use, like instead of trying to rid it from yourself through an external means, it's using internal means and actually making use of the things that are in you that are otherwise rotting you away from the inside out. Okay, you brought up Star Wars. Uh, Joseph Campbell, who I, I, I guess you're familiar with, he's one of, we consider him one of the four pillars of our organization. Uh, if it go Nietzsche, Jung, uh, Campbell, and LeVay. Uh, Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. Uh, Star Wars is based upon that pattern of the hero's journey. And Campbell has a great it's a very short video. I think it's less than four minutes long where he's given a lecture and he talks about the left-hand path and what it means to him. And basically his hero's journey is, is the left-hand path. It is a version of the left-hand path. You're leaving the confines of the village and you're going off and doing your own thing. And it's interesting how, how, George Lucas, he had taken the hero's journey and he used that, that pattern of the journey for Luke's story. So there is some, I guess you could say there's some left-hand path in, in Star Wars, at least the original trilogy. And somehow Star Wars gets even cooler to a nerd like me. That's awesome. Yeah, I wasn't actually aware of that. That's, <laughs> oh man, but that's, that's the thing about art. And you can even take that, uh, the hero's journey and you can apply these like uh, to bring young back into it, the concept mm-hmm. of archetypes and the way that he characterized yeah. them. That's yeah. one of the reasons why you look back through the ancient myths. Um, like you read about the horn God or Freya or, Odin in the northern uh, path or even other deities like you see their stories you hear the poetry written about them and there's a reason why they resonate as deeply as they do because we have all that in us we all I think most of us especially those on the path because they've actually recognized it but I think within a lot of humans just in general there's that desire to be able to have the courage to take your own way right pave your own path it's only those who recognize the aesthetic uh, principles of it who recognize 
that there is in fact going to be a lot of work and there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable things you have to do. Those are the ones that actually take that step and they're all the better for it. Yeah, exactly. You, you'd brought up Odin. That's my latest video I had, I had done. Um, how the name of it is how, what Odin can teach us about the left-hand path and his basic story and how, how really he was not a very pleasant God. He was extremely selfish. He was, he was the ultimate seeker after knowledge. He would do anything to achieve this knowledge. And the reason why he was so desperate is because he knew what the outcome at Ragnarok was going to be. He knew he was going to be devoured by Finnbrir, the wolf. So he was trying to, to find something, trying to achieve that knowledge to make him immortal. You know, like him hanging from Yggdrasil for nine days and nights and him plucking an eyeball out to drink from the well of Mimir and so on and so forth. He had done all sorts of outrageous stuff, you know. Uh, and, and, but unfortunately, though, the way most perceive Odin is as some kind of a Norse Santa Claus Yahweh kind of character. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not. He isn't. He wasn't. That, like I brought up earlier, that duality, that, that light-dark duality did not exist in ancient paganism. It wasn't there. Uh, that was incorporated. That, that's a Christian thing. So that's why when you see these, these, new, these pagan groups that are, you know, white lighters and so on and so forth, it's like they, they think they're rebelling against Christianity, but they're incorporating that, that Judeo-Christian Zoroastrian sort of idea of, of the, the duality between light and dark. It didn't exist. Like I said, the gods are like a force of nature. You know, sometimes storms are beneficial. Other times they can kill you. Well, us here at Beyond the Well certainly know a thing or two about the story of Odin sacrificing his eye to drink from the well. Uh, but it's that's ah, like, yeah. perfect. Yes. Yep. That's where the name come from, comes perfect. from. But um, I do like that you mentioned that and just how selfish and disagreeable Odin really was. And if you... Yeah. And it, it, it's another point, too, is to take it back to the very beginning of the conversation. It's a perversion, like the, a lot of modern pagan groups, like you said, the white lighters and all that. It is a perversion, a Christian perversion of the old ways when the old ways were perverted by Christianity to begin with, which is why they went away. And now that they're yeah. coming back again, they're being re-perverted. So it's, it's almost like this disgusting cycle that just keeps going on and on that I, I've seen, too. That's, that's why I'm intrigued with Hinduism, because there is, a, there is a theory that if you go back far enough, they all have a common root. All these, you know, the, the, the Odinists, the, the Celtic, Druidic traditions uh, from, yeah, from Ireland to India, they share a common Indo-European, Proto-Indo-European root. And now in Europe, we know what happened. Uh, Europe and the Middle East, but we know what happened. It was Christianity or Islam that basically practically destroyed that tradition, but it wasn't destroyed in India. So they carried on a lot of that, that those ancient ways, if you will. It's, um, it's sort of like, like a bridge going across a chasm, um, and India, let's say the Hindu traditions are on the other side of that chasm there. 
basically they have they haven't lost that there was there was none of that there was none of that true division that took place that that rebuilding it was always there for the past let's say 5000 years uh, it's yeah absolutely as far as the traditions that they have go i mean you can even tell like i personally haven't had the ability or the uh, the right to get over there just yet but i definitely do plan on traveling there at some point or another and the people that i know that have traveled there have all shared, especially if they're spiritually inclined, they've all shared the same thing. There's just something about those sites. There's something about those structures. There's something about those lands that just on a mystical level speaks to you. It's almost akin to like the, uh, another Nicholas Shrek uh, reference, like he shared about his experience that he had in the uh, tomb of Seti the first in Egypt, right. these ancient spiritual sites that hold this level of energy that's really difficult to describe or to find anywhere else. Like even like the ancient burial sites in ice, like Iceland and Norway, which I have actually been able to go visit. There's just a different feel to it. There's something there that you can't find anywhere else because these ancient traditions, even though in some instances they have been perjured, even genocided away, they still persist and they still survive. Fortunately, yeah. Fortunately in India, that, that, that chain hasn't broken like it has here in the West. And like I was saying, we've had to rebuild, but in a lot of ways, we're rebuilding through that Christian filter, if you will, the Christian interpretation of, of what these, what sometimes referred to as the eternal natural law is. We're, we're seeing it through Christian, still Christianized. Too many people are. As the newer generations are coming up and the work of people like you and Lisa and Nicholas and all these different very influential figures as that work is being passed down and new people are picking up the mantle, we're going to start seeing, I have no doubt in my mind, we're going to start seeing a lot of these old traditions be purified and brought back to their original roots, especially with all these different uh, texts and resources starting to resurface from these days and these uh, decades past and hundreds of thousands of years past, perhaps. We're starting to see these traditions become purified again. And I have every hope of actually seeing that come to fruition. I'm very excited and hope to actually be alive to see some of them uh, become more like they were at one point and to gain back some of that spiritual heritage. If we can find it, if we can find, find some of those original texts or piece together, like what do the Vedas and the Eddas have in common? You know what I mean? What is it? Couldn't we someday find that ancient proto-Indo-European text? I don't know, but it would be, it would be great. Well, here's to hoping that actually comes to fruition. And I, I certainly think it will, and I really hope it will. But I think to kind of just close out this whole thing, which has been very informative, and I want to thank you again for coming on and actually you know, speaking about these things. Like one of my favorite questions to, uh, to ask is to spiritual practitioners or to people who lead communities or, any, or what have you is, of course, like the reference that we made earlier to Odin sacrificing his eye at Mimir's well, uh, trying to outrun his fate and all that. But the concept behind that story is being able to sacrifice something for knowledge of some kind. And I'd like to ask you, along your spiritual journey with everything that you've endured from the early days of your life and finding these wacky bookstores and going and hoping to find something, to now running the sect for going on uh, 10 years, just had the ninth uh, anniversary for it, what do you feel you've had to sacrifice, if anything at all, to gain the insight that you have now? First off, time. 
that is something you you that's the number one thing you have to sacrifice in in some cases it's some fun and games but mainly it's time and i'm i'm starting to get a little older so i'm very careful with my time now uh when you're young you think you'll live forever but yeah that's the number one thing that that's my major sacrifice and that's what everyone has to do that's the number one thing you have to do if you're going to learn anything and also there's a bit of there's some sacrifice or or yeah sacrifice in learning something new you got to let go of some old stuff you know some really you thought were very sound ideas you have to sacrifice those ideas to grow that's a great way to put it. And if you do it properly and you stay committed to it enough, that sacrifice will in fact mean something and it will pay dividends for you. I want to thank you, Thomas, so much for coming on. It was a pleasure getting to finally sit down and speak with you. If I could go back in time and tell the 16 year old kid that was just obsessed with the sect back then, <laughs> I would have been, I would have been tripping out really being able to actually sit here and speak with you about these things. It was a pleasure. It really was. Thank you very much for having me. I discovered, by the way, I discovered, I, I, I heard your first podcast and I didn't, and I didn't know who you were. I didn't catch your name or anything. And then when you mentioned, well, I'm a member of the sect of Oregon. It's an organization I have a lot of respect for. And I went, what? Because I just randomly <laughs> found this podcast that I was enjoying. I thought, very cool. Yeah, that's actually something that I was curious about. How did you actually uh, find me? Like, yeah, how did you find this? I just somehow came across your podcast. I forgot how. And I put it on, just listening to it. I was enjoying it. It was you talking to, I think, a friend of yours. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, you know, it was a good conversation. I'm listening to it. And then you brought up, you know, I think you were talking about, on, was it online Satanism or something? I forget exactly. And then you mentioned, well, there's one group I'm part of. Sect, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I went, whoa, wait a second. And I went to Lisa and I go, we have a member who does a podcast. And go, oh, yeah, there's Austin, blah, blah, blah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that's that's hilarious but uh, that's that's great i'm really happy to hear about that i was curious when lisa mentioned yeah, it. i was, was like what completely <laughs> random it was completely random it was it was odd well any like i said if i could go back and even tell that guy that i would be able to sit down and have this discussion it would be mind-blowing and i'm very grateful to have uh sat down and spoken with you about this press we could do it again sometime oh i'd love to anytime of course thank you so much thomas i really appreciate it no problem my friend